mean, I'm just trying to remember. I write these very, you know, lyrically dense songs yeah. that I'm just trying to remember all the words to it as we're doing it. And so, but there are times, you know, it's, it's kind of like you're directing a scene that you're in and you, there's part of you that also needs to be thinking like, all right, is this lighting was fucking weird or is this, you know, and so it's <laughs> like... Tokyo tonight. What's happening, guys? Thank you for having me. No problem, man. Thank you. You got a new album coming out January 21st. I'm excited about called Broken English. Love the title. Um, why Why Broken English? Well, you know, I've always hated uh, and had a hard time naming songs to mm -hmm. begin with. And uh, it's that weird reductive thing. You know, I yeah. write sort of, um, uh, you know, a lot of symbolism and stuff where I'm not even quite sure what the fuck the song's about. So <laughs> as I'm trying to sort of, so uh, with a lot of the albums, I'll just choose one of the, um, uh, one of the song titles. that sounds like, that sounds like an album title, hmm. but this one, it was a theme that sort of ran through the album along with the, you know, there's a, a few themes and one of them was, um, you know, I think it's, it's, well, it's, it's sort of like the, um, you know, the inability of language to really capture, um, you know, those ineffable things that you're, that are the truly, you know, most powerful, beautiful things in, in life. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like uh, Alan Watts, that, uh, you know, that, that Buddhist uh, teacher from the 60s. Yeah. We talked about that idea of, you know, sort of mistaking the, uh, the menu for the meal, you mm. know, it's like we, we break down, you know, the world into these little compartmentalizing things. And, yeah. uh, and so I, I think I like the sort of weird paradoxical thing of um, trying to describe in words, how uh, ineffective words are. That's awesome, man. I love that. You know, it's crazy that you mentioned Alan Watts as I swear to God, I have been seeing post after post people just posting memes and quotes of Alan Watts lately. And I'm like, I love the dude, but I was just like, and, and the quotes are amazing too, but I'm always just like, what is going on? Like, there's something in the general, I don't know what it is, the feed or whatever's going on right now, but like, it's the great algorithm has, has it, picked him up. Dude, it really, it, it's so, the great algorithm is such a great way to put it too, because it really is like, it's spooky because it's like, you know, no one's really looking for any of that stuff half the time. And then you're just scrolling through Twitter and then one person does it and you're like, oh, my God, I haven't seen that that <laughs> yeah. particular thing in a while. And then all of a sudden it's fucking everywhere. And you're just like, I, I don't know if people actually care or they're trying to jump on a trend or. And then I'm like, did this guy die? I mean, Alan, Wobby. but I'm like, did this guy die? You know what I mean? Like when somebody pops up, uh, like that, you just don't oh, know. Yeah of where where it comes from you know yeah. it was probably like jordan peterson or some shit you know oh, ref God. said something about you know who that knows what the fuck lunatic. but but yeah. i uh that guy's uh, such a weird dude i mean i don't under, you know you know what i mean like every, i don't know if you're a fan or not but i feel like jordan peterson's one of those dudes that like what a, you could just tell he's a mediocre professor and somehow managed to get big and now is thrown onto the public like you know no, forum was, and has to have these answers and opinions and they're really like if you ever listen to him he's kind of banal like he's just like, mm. well, it's like there's so many people, you know, where they'll they'll have all of these very obvious things that they say, you know, mm. like you should sit up straight and you should <laughs> clean your room or something. And then it's oh, also like, 
you know, and trans people don't exist. And then we yeah, go yeah, on, yeah. and you're like, wait, where did that one come from? I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They slip it in there with the fucking like, yeah, eat a hearty breakfast yeah. and also hate the gays. Well, yeah, uh, I, and you're just I, like, I, with the eggs or without them? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had some Alan Watts books sitting around that I'd never really read. And then I, I'd, um, I'd found some uh, lectures that were on just kind of audio books. And they're mm. these just great him, you know, in the 60s. Sometimes the audio quality is horrible and sometimes it's great. And um, there'll be these, you know, there are these like 10 hour long lectures that I would just pop on, on and off. And I was bike around Portland. Yeah. That's and listen awesome. to this kind of, you know, he's this like weird hedonist, you know, Buddhist. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what is crazy? I'm, I don't know if it was just, again, the decades, the eras that are, that people are brought up and or whatever, but I feel like, you know, for us, we have a few of those, a few of those, like there, there is, there aren't as many, or maybe, I don't know, maybe people look back 20 years from now and they'll be able to pick out more like in the same way we have, but it feels like sometimes we have pale imitations of, you know, the really great ones and the people that we admire, you know? And then it's like, and, but they're, they're kind of thrust upon us by um, whatever, you know, the corporate culture, like the celebrity, you know, agents or whatever it is where it's all man. It's somehow it all seems somewhat manufactured and I, and I hate it in a, in a certain sense. It's weird. Yeah, completely. Yeah, and I, I feel and like... it does. It feels like the the books and the things uh, that I'm reading or things I'm listening to are always from like decades, if not centuries yeah. ago. Same. Where it feels like we are getting sort of like abstracted further and further right. away from some sense of like what it is to be a human and be just in this world. Yeah, and you know what? You can't even blame. Like I understand. Like you know, people have their gripes. They always have their gripes about like a younger generation. We had it when we were younger and oh, whatever yeah. and blah blah blah. But I can't even you know, blame them necessarily because those people are so much looking for their own identity at this point that of course they're going to cling to what like is popular or what, or what the, you know, media necessarily is telling them they need to hear, you know what I mean? So they're just like, yes, Jordan Peterson's a God or whatever. Cause they have no identity of their own and they're clinging to something else. And it's a shame that they're not kind of, cause when I was younger, for whatever reason, I, I did look to, you know, older books and music and all that other stuff because I don't think I just had a general understanding of like everything came from someplace else. So I'd like to know yeah. where it originated before I like, but there's so many people who are just fucking, they're like, no, it's only now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is, you know, well, yeah, I think there was, um, I was listening to some, uh, interview with this guy named Michael McCarthy, who was, uh, he's mm-hmm. like, a, um, I think like a conservationist and a writer. And he was talking about the idea that, you know, human beings for 50,000 generations were sensibly wildlife. And then yeah. for about 500 generations, we've been living in some sort of societies and right. how we've been, we pay so much more deference to those 500 generations yeah. than 50,000. But then if you go, I think a step further from what he was talking about, you think how many generations have we had social media and have we been plugged into technology in this mm-hmm. way and how much deference we pay towards that. Yeah. And the chasms between those groupings of the 50,000 that were wildlife and the 500 that were you know living in these smaller communities up until now and then now you're going to have just you know between like millennials and gen z or between the whatever comes next i mean you feel like they're just going to be kind of smaller and smaller and with these larger chasms between the way that we can uh identify with each other exactly how we see the world and what we consume and what we think about and what stuff is fed to us all that you know yeah, and how ironic is that we think of all this shit as social? You know what I mean? 
Like it's so the antithesis of that for the most part, like it really very rarely is it really bringing anybody together, you know, maybe for the first like, you know, few months you're on it or whatever. But I wish that the younger generations would treat the Internet like a boomer because the Internet's 40. I wish they just fucking ignore it like they do everything else. that's 40 and up, you know, and they don't. They, they, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's because to us, the, I mean, in a, in a world landscape, the internet's 40 and it's super fucking young for us to still be, we don't even know what the effects are, but I feel like, you know, to an extent it's usefulness is almost done. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, either you figured out how to market and profit off of it, or you're just stuck in a loop in it. And and it's not, uh, it's a feedback loop and it's never good for your brain. I just think it's, you know, yeah, it is. It has this, um, this capacity to be uh, such, uh, to be so incredible. I mean, sure. you can learn anything, and you can, uh, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to read the complete works of Shakespeare, or if you want to, you know, talk. You know, it's been a nice thing to be able to, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, FaceTime, you know, with like my yeah. kids with their grandparents, and but you have this full scope. And what do people really use it for? It's like you know, porn and. And, you know, and, and uh, yelling at their at their grandkids and don't discount porn so quick. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> that is no, but I, I know what you mean. It, it is it is kind of, you know, weird. And, and the funny thing is, is, too, is like I feel like every kind of every piece of technology goes to that, especially once it hits that peak where people figured out how to market from it, because how incredible and wild was TV back in the day? You know, when, especially like late night shows and stuff like that, where, you know, Letterman didn't know what the fuck he was doing. He was throwing TVs out of a fucking window and filming yeah. it or SC, actually SCT uh, TV, I think, did that first. But Letterman was doing some crazy shit or whatever, you know, too. And then, you know, people kind of get a, a handle on something and then it's, you know, regulated and mass produced and marketed and then it fucking sucks. And, you know, I remember, you know, we grew up with the Internet. So I remember when it was just like you know, episodes of uh, South Park or shit would leak on the internet, you know what I mean? Or like waves or like, you know, the AVI files you'd send to friends and shit and GeoCities websites and just, you know, whatever. And now it's, you know, algorithms and monetized and fucking pop-up ads everywhere. And, you know. Yeah, but it's it's evolving. So now we're about to enter this metaverse where everything's going to be a virtual world. It's going to be weird. I feel like that's going to be nuts. Intense. Yeah, It, it really is. And I feel like, God, you know, the way like, people in relationships kind of escape onto Facebook, you know, with old high school. Oh, it's going to yeah. get like immediately my mind goes to like people who cheat, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, people are just unhappy in their marriage. I'm like, Oh, they're going to have a field day. Um, but who knows? But, I don't know. No, it, it does feel like it's uh, like the world's going to be bifurcated in this way of people that are kind of like fully invested and people that are sort of holding on yeah. to the real world in some capacity. Do you feel and, yourself going in either direction in particular? Yeah, I mean, I think my, you know, I think if I had any of the tools to to handle it, I would go be living, uh, you know, uh, in uh, on a farm in like Orcas Island or something up in the San Juan Islands or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think about getting the, every time my friends are like, you would never be able to do it. You would die without your phone. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like if I could have a nice place in like the wood in a mountain in the woods and a little town nearby where I could yeah. shop and shit, I'm fucking done. I'm out. Well, I think that's something that people don't realize is like how quickly you can get it out of your system. You know, yes. it's like you go. I remember, you know, this was years ago. My wife and I go into Big Sur for it was our first wedding anniversary. And we went. We were staying in this little cabin, and mm-hmm. there was no. I mean, not not even electricity in this place. Right. And uh, being away from technology for you know for four days. Right. And you and you feel like, oh, man, this is it. I could I can just live like this. And then, of course, you get back to your life 
and it sucks you back in in that way. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, and they're yeah. so brilliant at sucking you back in. Absolutely. I would, you know, I, I was, um, I'm, you know, I'm such an idiot. Like I, I'll read at night instead of getting a little light, which I, my wife finally bought for me. I never yeah. think like, oh, spend five dollars to get this. I'd use my <laughs> phone, and I, I realized I could go on to, um, if I go on to YouTube, I could mm -hmm. look up white screen. You know, there's just like a yes. white screen. But every time, you know, I'd be in bed, I'd be excited to get back to my book. I've been running around with fucking kids and work mm -hmm. and all shit all day long. And I get in, I'd have to say to myself, all right, when you turn on the YouTube app, just go to the fucking white screen, hit the button, don't <laughs> click on anything. Don't yeah. click on And it knows exactly. It knows mm -hmm. more than I do. And as soon as yeah. I turn on, it's like, you know, some weird thing of Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan playing. And I'm like, okay, well, just, absolutely. Let me click on it. Just let me watch. Like I'll watch 10 seconds of it. Yeah. And next thing you know, it's like two in the morning. And now I'm watching like the most esoteric and sand fucking shit. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm the same one. I get distracted by those kind of videos too, especially if it's like a concert or something like that, that I haven't seen, or they're like, Oh, remember MTV in the nineties. I'm like, I do. Oh, right. <laughs> I do remember yeah. MTV in the nineties. Yeah. Now you're watching uh, like, like, uh, you know, uh, recent Matt Pinfield blogs or something. Yes. And you're like, we're like, I don't know. How, how the fuck did I get here? <laughs> we, we were going to have Matt Pinfield on the show. We still have to reschedule him because it, it just didn't work out. He was like extremely busy, but yeah, I love Matt Pinfield. That's so crazy that you just said that. That's so funny. Well, I, yeah, it's, I, I didn't even know if he was still uh, if he was still doing it. I think he. Well, I don't know what he's doing necessarily, but yeah. he was a little too busy for us apparently. So I mean, uh, he kept on having a reschedule. Good for him, man. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Great. He's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I know what you mean, dude. It's like it's it's crazy. I don't know that. Um, I feel like I'm I'm trapped in it too because I, if everybody if half of your friends or your family or whatever just kind of accept it then it's like oh that's the only way to communicate with them so you're just you're just done in that respect and also the careers we're in and what we're involved yeah. in it's like if you're not like you know how many times I just want to fucking delete my Twitter and not give a fuck about it I mean I really don't it's basically a ghost town but at the same time like you know if you go on these meetings and they ask you if you have one and they ask oh, yeah. you what your follower count is and it's just it's absurd because it's like, well, yeah, but they're not all in, you know, Des Moines, Iowa. You know what I mean? Like what difference oh, yeah. does it make? So, but you know, I don't know. They don't know how to quantify what we do half the yeah, time right. and they need a reason to. So it just seems like the thing to do. It's weird. It is. I mean, yeah, the fact that, you know, uh, it's like TikTok stars or, you know, it's like all these new different metrics to, to find folks in this way. I've, I've been the same way, you know, I never, um, doing any sort of social media for me was, has always been like pulling teeth. I just, right. it just never really dawns on me, you know, I, uh, earlier in the pandemic when it was first getting started, I would make little, I would just do uh, little solo versions, you know, nice. I'd like set up a little recording space and I would do solo versions of my songs and random covers. And I was like, all right, this is like something I could do, but I, I've never, I've never tweeted anything. I could never just, no, I mean, we throw were anything out in that way. When it was on, when like Twitter was like, you know, just starting out or whatever. I mean, my friends and I were comics, jumped on it and stuff, and it was a lot of fun. And it used to be a lot of fun, and now it's just one pile of fucking dog shit, hating it. You know, just everybody fucking hating on each other, and everybody's got a problem with everybody else. And you know, there's just a bunch of unknown, you know, anime icon accounts that hate you, <laughs> right. you know, and whatever. And you're just like, what? What is going on? And then you realize like the entire world has just this mental health problem that's not being dealt with. And they're just using Twitter as like their live journal or yeah, whatever, like to, you know, to scream into their pillow. 
Yeah, exactly. And you're just like, oh my god. But then the worst part is, is that that same generation then winds up going out and like you know becoming journalists or whatever, and they think that what they find on there is all important. So that's it's just this endless fucking loop, man. It's poison. Yeah. But um, on to happier things. So what? <laughs> have you been getting back? Have you been getting back out yet to tour and stuff like that? Like how was the? Well, you know, I was, I was, I was really lucky in terms of where I was at in my sort of album cycle, where I was just about to record this album mm-hmm. when, uh, when the pandemic hit. I was supposed to go down to LA. I recorded all my other albums I do with my band. We have this great uh, producer we work with named Pierre De Reeder, nice. who owns. Um, he was in the band Rilo Kiley, and he mm-hmm. is he engineers love you know, Rilo tons and tons of great um, uh, of great artists and he used to have a studio in north hollywood and then he moved it to highland park and right. my whole band is down in la and so we would go and uh our first album we recorded totally live just in a room together and we originally did it just to film the stuff to be like all right let's just see if the if the audio kind of captures it enough for it to go with the, the stuff we're filming and mm-hmm. it was so it was great it was better than anything we you know i had done before and it just had that that uh that live, you know, all the imperfections and all, yeah. all that, that shit that you want that feels, you know, for the kind of music that I make, it just, it just works. Sure. And so we were planning on doing that in the summer. And then obviously that whole thing went out the window. So yeah. I was trying to figure out, all right, what the fuck am I going to do? And I, we had this little nursery that I'm in now that I turned into uh, a studio. Nice. We moved. My daughter was, you know, sleeping in in uh, in our room, anyways, and so we moved the crib out, and I, you know, put some of my equipment in there, and started recording, and just to be like, all right, let's just see, you know, without treating the room in any way, and it was like, sounds fucking good, nice. and so we ended up building, you know, recording it in the complete opposite way of I how I'd done anything. I had to, you know, I'd never like recorded to a click track or anything like that, mm. but I would, you know, I was building uh, drum tracks putting my stuff down, adding my own instrumentation. And then I'm lucky that the the musicians I play with produce their own stuff too. So they have great studios themselves. So I could go and send it to my multi-instrumentalist bandmate. It's this guy named Gabe Fienberg. He's just a fucking killer. Mm. He plays the, he's an amazing lap steel player and piano awesome. player and accordion player. And he studied the trombone at the Berkeley School of Music. He's just a, he's just this kind of like savant dude. And then a drummer named Max McVitie, who we work with, he's a producer. And so he would take, you know, the drum tracks that I was, you know, making in Logic and then he would put, you know, actual real life drum shit. And it was always, you know, when we're recording it all live, it is, um, you know, it's like you got a lot on, I got a lot on my plate. I mean, I'm just trying to remember, I write these very, you know, lyrically dense songs yeah. that I'm just trying to remember all the words to it as we're doing it. And so, but there are times, you know, it's, it's kind of like you're directing a scene that you're in and you, there's part of you that also needs to be thinking like, all right, is this lighting is fucking weird or is this, you know? And so it's like <laughs> yeah, here and you're like, all right, is this drum? I feel like that drum thing's not working. So now all of a sudden I could have a little more, um, you know, a little more precision to it. But one, there was sort of like a funny aspect that because at least Gabe and I, that we have little kids in the house where we're recording, you know, and it's in the middle of a pandemic. This was like, you know, April or something of 2020 or May, you know? And so finding these little chunks of time where you could record, you couldn't be, you couldn't be too precious about it. Sure. You had like, all right, I got four takes to try to crank this fucker out. Let's see what you do it. 
And so you ended up getting, you know, I think we ended up getting some of that, um, uh, that kind of pressure and, and the imperfection that, that we would get in those same kind of live situations. That's awesome. So I, I had to cancel some dates right at the beginning. I was supposed to play uh, the East Coast in March of 2020. And mm-hmm. so it's right at that one where everyone is sort of sending emails like, are we doing this? Are we not <laughs> yeah. doing this? Are we... And then I remember I was, I was pretty, I was like, I think this is legit. I was like, I think we have to pull, I think we have to pull the plug. And yeah. I remember people were like, really? I don't know. And then within days it was like it, the whole world shut down. Yeah. Yeah. That was fucking nuts, man. I remember I was on the road uh, for a bit and got back. And one of the last shows I did, uh, cause I was in like the uh, Midwest and then drove back or whatever, made my way back. And I got to my last show in New York. And then literally the day after they were like, no one can leave. And they were also like, if you're in New York, you have it. And I was like, I didn't have it, but you know what I mean? But they were like, everyone was like, Oh my God, like it's everywhere. And I was well, like, that was right. And then New York became like the episode. Yeah. Yep. Basically. Yeah. It just exploded after that. It was kind of fucked up. Um, did it, did it kind of shift your guys way of like, did you enjoy it? Like, I know you said you had the pressure and it was kind of like the live feel and everything like that. But I feel like a lot of uh, musicians I've talked to have really kind of enjoyed the freedom of creating in their own space after a while, because you know, you've said you've done it in a studio and stuff, but like, did you feel any less pressure and more creative freedom doing it this way? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of in both directions because, you know, a lot of the time my, my philosophy has always been about finding musicians that I trust and I trust their instincts and I trust their, I'll have, you know, I'll have notes and stuff, but it's, it is, uh, you know, I like to find people that I let them, you know, find what it is that they want to play on this. Mm -hmm. Like how does my bass player, you know, you know, what, what is he, did he feels like, you know what, I want to go with like a bowed thing here. And, and, you know, the multi instrumentals will be like, I don't know, I'm really hearing like, you know, three trump, you know, horn parts over here that will be. And so all of a sudden I, I had a lot more responsibility in how I was going to arrange this stuff. Right. And, um, and putting a lot on it on myself. And so it, it was this strange, you know, dual thing where there was all of a sudden, had more space and a little more autonomy in that way. And I could be a little more precise with it, but I had a lot more shit sort of on me and I didn't yeah. you know, sort of miss my, miss my buddies now, but it was, you know, it was, uh, it was fun. It was fun, you know, doing, uh, you know, I did almost all of my own harmonies on it and I did, you know, mm-hmm. I, I got to, you know, take out the banjo and play some, play some claw hammer banjo over it. Nice. Which Weirdly, I wrote almost this entire album on the banjo. Was, oh, that's I, awesome. I love I origi- the banjo. I originally thought I played, you know, that kind of claw hammer frailing yeah. style, you know. And, uh, and there was a part of me that thought, this is, I'm going to do an entire banjo album. That's what I'm going to oh, do. Oh, wow. And then, uh, and then as I was getting close to it, I sort of started playing them on the guitar, all the songs I'd been writing. And I was like, ah, fuck it. I think I like it better on the guitar. <laughs> so I don't know if I just missed yeah, out. No, oh, no, that's crazy. Uh, would you ever do it again? Would you ever like attempt it again? Do you think you would go back? Not the, not the same songs, but I mean, like, do you think you would like, you know, do you regret it enough to go like, no, I'm going to I'm going to stick with it the next time. You mean stick with recording this way or stick with the stick playing with recording that way? Uh, you know, I mean, I think I could see it really go either way. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly mm-hmm. cost effective. Right. Oh, yeah, that's you true, know, too. Uh, you, you definitely say. But it was the, the other great thing is that is that um, after we had everything done, we still we sent it all over to our our man, Pierre de Reader. And he. Uh, right. Uh, he was able to in his studio and with his amazing, you know, mixing board and everything, he could right. put together all the the shit that we'd been doing. 
So, I mean, it, it's it's nice to feel like I've got these two options that I really love either mm -hmm. one. You know, cool. it feels like I could, um, I, you know, I had done, I, I did a covers album uh, a few years ago that I recorded mm -hmm. in my house in the same kind of way. Nice. Um, so I, I'd done some of it before. Um, and I, I'm, I'm excited. I think for the next one, I want to get back with the band and get, you know, get back in them. I don't blame you, man. You it's, know? it's, it's, it's crazy how much, like, I knew I missed it, but I didn't realize how much until you're, until you're fully back out there doing a thing and you're just around other comedian, you know, or entertainers or whatever oh, the yeah. hell it is. And you're just like, Oh, this is, this is much better than a screen. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I, I just had to, um, my brother got married. He was supposed to get married at the beginning of 2020 or something. Mm. And then it, it just, it just turned into this like three year long, oh. you know, like <laughs> delay. Get, get delay and canceled <laughs> and this and this. And so he finally got married. Uh, and I, I had to give a best man speech to this big, and it was my first time sort of performing, you know, in a way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to this like big 200 person wedding. And honestly, at the end of it, I was like, oh, man, I want to get back out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Did you get any flack for canceling stuff? Like when you like when you were going through the, you know, the beginning of it and you had to pull out of stuff, did people not get it, you know, right mm -hmm. away? No, because it was right in that spot where I think everybody was starting to freak out. Oh, OK. You know, yeah, that, I think it yeah. was it was right in that, you know. At least in my, you know, I mean, I'm in Portland, Oregon. I think everybody here was, you know, oh, they yeah. were all bat they're ready to batten down the hatches. I know you um, guys fucking handled it so well. I'm a little. It jealous. was. It was really. Although it then it of, of course like right before, um, you know, the the part that was probably the hardest for us was we had to pull our. Uh, she was gosh, she was three at the time. We had to pull our uh, daughter out of preschool, and it was this oh. like dream preschool. It was like a you know, five minute walk down the street with this perfect teacher in this perfect little room. And it was, it was so great. Right. Um, and we had to, uh, we had to pull, pull her out of it, but it was, you know, it ended up being this like, you know, such a beautiful thing that we all kind of had each other. Yeah. I agree. Way. I mean, it was, it was almost like, I think if you looked at, I think there were people who looked at it in a way that was like, this is forever. Oh my God, what's going to happen or whatever. And then other, I, what, the way I tried to look at it too, it was like, Oh, cool. You know what? Obviously this, I, I didn't think it was going to be forever. So I was just kind of like, I'm just going to enjoy whatever the fuck this is as much yeah. as I possibly. I mean, there were nights that drove me crazy, but like I tried to enjoy it as much as possible, yeah. you know, in spite of ever, all the craziness going on. And obviously there's a lot of tragedy, but I was just kind of like, we're here. Let's just fucking make the best out of it and do what we can. Completely. And that, yeah. that was, I mean, we had, um, you know, early on, it was like it was finding those little ways of being able to uh, having this like autonomy kind of like foisted on you. Right. And then other ways where you felt like, OK, let's kind of let's keep going with this. and Let's yeah. see where we can, you know, and obviously feeling super lucky in all the different ways. That right. We had the opportunity he was, to do these things. And, yeah. But we you know, it was like, um, you know, one of our favorite things living in Los Angeles and, and especially living here in Portland was food was just going out yeah. to eat restaurants picking up food all the time and and it, you know it was um my wife's a great cook her mom's a is a chef and so oh. you know so but so we um that's awesome uh, about you know i don't know whatever the first you know week or two it was you know all the restaurants were closed mm. and then you know like a month or so after that it was like are we should we be picking kids is safe that was you know when we were all like wiping right. shit down <laughs> go to the grocery yeah. store and stuff and yeah. uh and then after like maybe six, whatever it was, six weeks or two months, we thought, I wonder how long we could go with just making, we have two daughters. Like, can, nice. how long can we go making every single meal for ourselves? And we made it about 16 months. 
that we that we made. Wow. Every single me, I got I got a smoker, and so I've been I was out there, you know, making ribs and smoked That's chicken, so and smoked trout and stuff. And we just, you know, we leaned in on it. You know, it was that like when we're making Korean food, we got the right gochugaru, and we're oh. when we're making, you know, my, making some beef and broccoli. We've got the exact, you know. Chinese cooking wine that we needed and shit. And we just making me hungry, leaned into it. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was, you know, finding those little ways, you know, it was even like, like teaching my daughter to read, you know, we, yeah. we I, you know, I was thinking about how like all of these things that we outsource in our lives, like who cooks our food, you know, mm -hmm. grows our food, who raises our kids for the most part, yeah, you know, yeah. we all go, you know, so you think, especially in this country, we're like, you have a kid and immediately it's like, all right, now hand it off to someone else and you get back to your fucking work. You piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, and so there was something about, you know, she had just turned four, um, you know, and that like as the pandemic was sort of rolling on. And uh, and so and I sat with her and, and sort of started from that process of like she, you know, knew the letters. And now all of a sudden she's just fully sitting down reading books. And it wow. is so fucking cool to be, you know. Amazing. To, yeah. To, yeah. To have awesome. been in that process with her. And so finding those little ways. So it is like, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a part of me that I think if I had the, if I had the balls or, and any of the wherewithal, I'd be like, we're getting out of the city. Yeah. You know, no, it's that funny thing. Cause when all the, the niceties of a city are taken away and you're not going out to restaurants and you're not going out to sporting events and you're not, right. you know, all these things that were, didn't exist. Yeah. There is a party that's like, do I, do, you, yeah, do I need to be here? Do I need right. to be in? Yeah. I you know, know what you mean. And you're like, holy shit, I can do with that. What was cool is figuring out what you could do without. And then on the flip side of that, you could also figure out what you were willing to possibly be killed for. <laughs> right. <laughs> because there were times when I was right there with you when you were ordering food and you were still kind of washing shit down. But like the moment I broke to order food, I, I remember sitting there in front of this amazing cheesesteak going like, holy shit, I would die for a cheesesteak because <laughs> I don't know if it kills you <laughs> through food yet. And I don't know if it's if somebody didn't want, you know. Or, or, you know, if oh, yeah. touching the styrofoam. But I remember looking at like that and I was like, this is this is what I would end my life for. Apparently is, uh, it's, uh, you know, I still remember those those early days. I remember going into like going into the supermarket wearing gloves and no one had a mask, obviously. You know, as we yeah. know. So the idea that we all had these fucking gloves on and we're all coughing in each other's faces. I know that. You know? <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. The glove thing was hilarious. And afterward, they were like, yeah, you should like, yeah, that was all. Masks. Yeah. Should have had yeah. a mask and didn't need the gloves at all. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. We all, I can't believe how many times, like in the beginning, like I didn't go in before they made the mask mandate and they wore like, cause they were, it wasn't even like a remote suggestion to do it, but I was, you know, I wasn't going anywhere else, but I was grocery shopping. Oh yeah. Without a oh, mask. on. I, I totally, I remember I was, I was, uh, uh, my wife for the first time, she's like, I think, should you wear a mask? And I was like, no fucking way. It was yeah, like before yeah. anything. I was like, "What? What am I going to do? Am I to tie a T-shirt around my face?" I was like, this, <laughs> I, "I was like, I originally was like, there's no way that people are going to wear masks." In this yeah, country. I know. And I, I was weirdly right and wrong at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Oh, I know. And it's so sad the people that don't want to wear. I mean, you know, it's just oh, yeah. it's it's the easiest fucking thing you you could possibly be asked to. It's all these you know so called patriots or whatever that are running around like I die for my country, and it's like you're gonna because yeah. you won't you know wear a piece of fucking fabric over your face guess, now that our, our uh, five-year-old has started kindergarten and they all i mean we actually have to be like you can it's okay you can take we're out of school now you can take the mask off yeah but she's just, just like, so good about it they just throw it on they yeah. don't even really think about it but the 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 especially nice thing about it uh is that i mean when our kid when she started preschool it was just 
some horrible fucking cold that came in the house every two, three weeks. Yeah. It was just, she got sick and my wife got sick, you know, it just got, mm-hmm. and, uh, and now that they have these masks on, it's been like, it's been nothing. It's been yeah. great. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Can of keep that shit on? It's like, it's like I, when I flew down for my brother's wedding, that was my first time getting on a plane in the last two years. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. This is kind of nice having a mask. I agree. You know, like shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of animals, you know? Yeah, exactly. Especially in a fucking, <laughs> <I know. laughs> especially, especially in a fucking airplane where it's all filtered through the same shit. Like I remember in high, when I was in high school, like we, we, I went to, um, you know, a high school where they built the schools in different, you know, at different times. And sadly, each one was a fucking experiment to the kids because they built one high school with beautiful fucking windows and you know to the point where like i think one kid like left after an exam like out a window uh that's what they were you know the good old days um and then uh but they built another high school with no fucking windows because they thought it's like a it was a basically a prison and i remember thinking like holy shit we have one ventilation system no no fucking air coming in if somebody oh, sneezes yeah. in like you know one hallway they're gonna get you know pneumonia oh, yeah. in another it was nuts and it's it crazy is. that like little kid, you know, they expect little kids to be like, it's, it's insane. Oh yeah, it is. It's, it's all, it's a, uh, it, no, that, that was the thing about Portland. Portland had been so good until right before kindergarten was starting. And then it just, it just like <laughs> right before school started, it's just like the numbers are going nuts Were you and guys- everything, you know, the whole thing has just been information that's been contradicting and stuff. It's like, yeah. I understand why yeah. people are losing their fucking minds. And I understand Portland. why people don't trust uh, 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 so many different things. Yes. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I would, you know, uh, um, I, I thought it's always been a good barometer of things when like the doctors are offering themselves and their kids like immediately up for these things. You're like, all Me right, too. this is this is something yeah. I, I trust over, you know, watching YouTube videos. Right. But it's been so much information. It's like, well, don't you can't do this, but you can do that. You can't. Right. You know, well, it was like being on an airplane and people, you know, getting in fistfights over wearing masks and shit. Yeah. But I, I was on fucking the, the Alaska airline flight I was on. You you have to wear a mask unless, of course, you have a drink or some food. So it's like right. just order a fucking Jack Daniels and then have your mask hang on the side of your ear like every other person was doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And no yeah. one cared. You know? No one cared. It is it is fucking ridiculous that they go to the that they that they don't explain it. And the other thing is, too, is that, you know, I, I feel for Fauci on a certain level, too, because that's the guy who's like, you know, they're like, oh, he lied. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, yeah, you know, but he lied because a lot of you are fucking dumb. And they don't know how to like they can't just be straight with you. So they're like, maybe if we scare the fucking shit out of them, you know, they'll they'll do the right thing. And even yeah. then they didn't do it. So now they're like, well, right, but then, right, because I think then it's blood in the water. I think as soon as you get to that place of like, oh, right. they're lying to us, and like we know they're lying to us, and then it yeah. really just then it really goes off the fucking rails. Yeah. Which is, oh yeah, exactly. Which it just damages right our side. Now uh, it's just like fully right thunderdome. Yeah, it is crazy. I don't know. Did you were you guys immersed in the whole? Because um, when did you move to Portland? We moved about five years ago. Oh, you okay? So been there. Yeah. Were you guys? Then you guys were. You guys were around when they were when those riots and shit were going on. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's. I mean, you know, all, all my um, East Coast relatives, my like, uh, you know, like right wing uh, Irish relatives that feel like, how are you living in that hellhole? Right. And if if I'd never seen the news. I mean, I would have heard maybe one or two protests, sure. you know, and that would have been the kind of full extent of it right. where it's like, you know, it'd be like in Los Angeles going to um, Skid Row and being like, this is what is happening to this 13 million, you know, uh, uh, people in this county. Yeah. Um, 
when it's really like, no, this is a horrific thing that should not exist, but it's right. not, this is not representative of everything that's going on. So it was this strange thing where there was this, you know, insanity happening, you know, a few miles, we're on, we're in the Northeast of Portland. So it's okay. like, we're not that far from where this was happening, but we still would have absolutely no idea of it if we right. had not looked at the news like everybody else. Yeah, that's what I was curious about, because they really just did not uh specify they really just it was always just like portland yeah, portland shit. is on fire portland you know? is on fire. yeah <laughs> exactly and we're like you know walking down to like All take our portland? kids yeah on a, yeah yeah it's yeah, like yeah, oh, exactly. it's just this it's this spot but yeah there you know it's this this um you know pacific northwest you know has a strong history of that kind of you know anarchy and uh and now mm. it, it is you know it's it's definitely has the unenviable position of of having this being this battleground for this, you know, these, yeah. these two sides that seem to go like, all right, this is where we're meeting. Right. Do you, do you miss the LA life at all? Like California, stuff like that being out there? Like, how is it? Or no, I feel well, like the you music know, scene's got to be better in Portland. Yeah. You know, it was the, I think it was a whole, you know, way of life sort of thing yeah. for us that felt like we, especially when we had our kid, you know, we felt like this, this is, seems like the sort of place you want to grow up and a place you want to, you know, and nice. We bear, you know, hardly ever get into our cars and mm. it's, you know, I mean, just, just, uh, uh, over the weekend, you know, we were sitting in front of the fireplace, you know, with the fire roaring on like a 30 degree day. And I was talking to my family in LA and it was hundred degrees in Los Angeles and, you know, in mid November. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just love, uh, you know, going up to, to out to forest park and to out to Mount Tabor, you know, there's just these little parks that are around town where you can feel like you were just in the wilderness and it is a, you know, these nice. eight minute drives from where you are. Yeah. And it's like, you know, for, um, you know, I think for someone who like, you want to write some songs, it's certainly better to do in, in these circumstances. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel like every time I go to LA, I just think of it as I'm going into the office because it's, you're never not working. Like, you know, no matter where you are in that town, somebody's fucking yeah. talking about some script or something like that. So it's just like, it just feels like office chatter. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, yeah, it's those mod, especially if you're, yeah, if you're in the sort of entertainment uh, industry in, in, in any capacity, it is, you know, it's those places where you have that, that yeah. mono uh, culture business thing, which I imagine right. probably living in, in a place like Nashville, you probably feel that same thing for a right. musician or something like that. But, you know, I do, I, I grown up there. I still have got, you know, I still have deep love for, for the place sure. and all of our friends down there. And, and, you know, and the, the quality of the food too, and the, so the, good you know we used to live just outside of koreatown and oh uh God. and so just you know just the place you had there and then you just go a little north and you're in thai town and yes you know it's a place where we would regularly go drive you know we would drive Absolutely. an hour to get like the the ramen that we wanted to get and yeah. now we're, we, we've acclimatized so quickly to this where it's like there'll be a place that's a 15 minute drive and we're like are you fucking serious we're gonna take <laughs> 15 minutes to get to this place <laughs> that's great Oh my god! Yeah, I remember when I first moved down there. My friend took me to Thai Town, and I was like, "I'm never leaving." <laughs> like, oh man, there's so, so many good spots. I remember back that was like in the, in the heyday of those uh, Jonathan Gold uh, oh. lists, where he would put out those hundred essential places to go in LA, and you know he was that that Pulitzer Prize winning um, yeah. uh, uh, food writer, and it was great. And that's I would go with my brother, and I'd go with my wife, where you just find like the, those 
you know, like the strange place on Pico, like way in the middle of nowhere that has like the exact like Mexican goat birria stew that like, okay, we're going to this place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. I can't wait to go back now. You're making me crazy. Like yeah. <laughs> all the food you just mentioned, <laughs> I'm like, what time is it? Is it ready to eat again? Or... That's fucking nuts. Yeah. I'm just amazed anybody's actually like thin over there because the food's just too good. Oh yeah. And, or, or like, just like, uh, but it's expensive too. That's the other thing. Yeah. Um, it is. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was the prices of things there. Were oh just, yeah, you know, and it's how you know it's like it's all a relative thing, you know. So it's sure. like you know the people in Portland who've been here for years now feel like this is like outrageously expensive, you know. And then same right. thing, you know. I'm sure now you see all these other places like Montana. You know, Bozeman is like the next, you know, and all these these cities in Idaho, and you know, it's like all these people are moving out. Yeah, what's everybody leaving places. California? Everybody leaving <laughs> California, and then you have that whole other level of the that uh, people don't, uh, they don't have to go to the offices anymore. And so right. many places that are saying that this is going to be a permanent thing. Yep. And so you think, well, you know, and that kind of goes to that same thing of like, do I need to live in a, like if I can, you know, as long as I have an internet connection that I can do my work from. Right. Then, you know, why not live in a place where my rent or, or a down payment on a place could go so much further. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but um, it's tricky because I think a lot of those people are, gonna, are going out to these places without doing. You know, I was reading about um, uh, I think someplace in Washington, so like rural Washington, and people hadn't looked into what the uh, the broadband internet thing was, so they all moved out there to work. And they're like, "There's no internet here." <laughs> they have to go to like the weird little town hall, and they're like, talk to the mayor to be like, "Is it okay if I sit here to do my work?" That's hilarious. I didn't even read about that. That's fucking hysterical. I mean, unfortunate for them, but also. I didn't even think about that. There would be no internet in certain places where people are oh, yeah. like, Oh, people be like, it was like 50 yards from where the broadband ends on like where their property is. And they're like, yeah, I mean, we can't do anything about this. We can't. Oh right. my God. That's amazing. Um, I got to ask you before, I mean, we're getting, cause we're plowing along, but uh, what was the, what was the impetus to get into music when you were younger? Was that something you always wanted to do or no? No, you know, I was, um, uh, I, I think it's the age old story of, I was on a, um, I was on a water polo trip in Set, France. I think this is how it starts for a lot of people. I was going to say that story is that's never been uttered before. Yeah, here. <laughs> like, I was I was a I was a, a really serious water polo player in high school. Our our coach was the men's Olympic coach in '96. He was like the Bobby Knight of water polo, like this kind of mm -hmm. like mad genius. And uh, and we were one of the you know like one of the top teams in the country. We went and did this um, this trip out in. Uh, we were in uh, Italy and France playing against these like different, you know, like junior national teams and like, you know, like low level professionals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And we all thought like, oh, this is gonna be great. I'm going to go out there and play a little bit and, you know, find some find some French and Italian girls and, and eat some good food. <laughs> and it was it was like staying in these weird little port towns and just getting the absolute shit kicked out of us by these, you know, with these German teams. And it was like uh, it was it was all like it was insanity. And we. And uh, we were staying in this little port city uh, uh, called Set in France. And we were staying in this horrible little hotel. I'd never had any interest in playing music before. Mm -hmm. And and my CDs of whatever, you know, it was all the stuff that I was listening to at K-Rock at the time. And okay. Southern, you know, it's it probably like a lot of, um, uh, you know, Smashing Pumpkins and stuff like that. Nice. Were those and, like uh, your, did you have like a, a band that you kind of like idolized back then? Well, you know, I think it was all, my music was just, you know, it was it something I listened to? I listened to all that stuff, Sublime sure. and all yeah. that stuff. 
And then mixed in uh, with the CDs, just that I think it sort of accidentally went into my little um, my little CD holder thing uh, was the Freewheel and Bob Dylan album. Oh, dude! And I, I have the album right. I can't grab it, but I have it right sitting right there. I never. I don't think I could have picked Bob Dylan out of a lineup. I don't think I even really knew <laughs> who he was. And the first song comes on, and it's blowing in the wind. And I thought, oh, okay. So it's this like pro protest kind of folky thing. Mm -hmm. And then. And then Girl from the North Country comes in, and I remember the sound of the harmonica and the sound yeah. of the finger picking, and I was just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then Masters of War comes on, and then Bob Dylan's Blue, you know, and it goes down, and Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, and all this. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, then this and then one of the songs uh, that's called Talking World War Three Blues that really got to me, too. Yeah. And it, I just kept listening to it over and over and over again, and it was like, I was just, I, I, there was just the, the entirety of it, the finger picking, the harmonica, the sound of his voice. And then especially what he was saying, all those things together was just this like, holy shit, this right. is so powerful, something. And I just felt weirdly compelled. I was like, I need to learn how to play the guitar. I need to That's learn awesome. how to play these songs. And my dad played a little bit, but he didn't, you know, he played when he was younger. And so he had a guitar laying around. He had this old uh, Martin guitar from the fifties that he got when he was a kid. And um, uh, and so he, he taught me how to play uh, the, the chords to Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. I think also maybe House of the Rising Sun. And at that point, you know, you got your you got your chords there. You yeah. Know? You got your one, four, five and your minor six. And uh, and then I just never really put it down. I just kept playing and finger picking. Wow. And uh, and then it was that slow process of, you know, finding all those people kind of stemming off from Dylan of, you know, the people from before him, like Dave Von Ronk and, mm -hmm. and then Mississippi John Hurt and that kind of finger picking style that I really, uh, really got into of that thing, you know, where your thumb is playing the bass notes and then the rest of your, you know, of, of right. your fingers are sort of playing all the melody. Um, and then from there, you know, the, the Leonard Cohen's and the, you know, and, and down that sort of rabbit hole. And then it was, uh, it was just one of those things that just kind of unlocked something in my brain and just never, never stopped. That's incredible, man. That's a great. I, I again, I've never heard a story like that open up in in France. So that was just. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> at first, I thought you were just fucking with me, and I was like, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, it was really it was this Adding weird. You know, I it. think it was kind of the perfect place of being like just beat to hell, and uh, you know, it was uh, it was a demoralizing you know kind of trip, and and uh, and probably being homesick, and so I think there's probably something about this like such this quintessentially American frontier i don't know what you would call it but the sound mm. of that album it just it, you know it was it was definitely like a right time and right place and right just weird thing of lightning striking in that moment and i you know i know dylan is that thing for so many people i think that's yeah. one of like his most amazing qualities is how he's been this conduit you yeah. know I think in the way that like certain, you know, certain writers are that same sort of thing. It makes sense too. You know. I mean, when you see his body of work, it's just, how can you not be, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, you know, what's crazy. I think only in the last like five years, I didn't realize how many songs he wrote for other people that yeah. made them big. And I just, oh, yeah. it didn't, it just didn't occur to me. And also songs that I wouldn't like imagine him singing. Yeah. So it was just, it's just the, the, you know, the level of skill oh, yeah. to be able to do that. It's just no, insane. It's, it's really huge. I, I had to, you know, I think in college, uh, when I, I sort of had the realization that like, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing inadvertently just doing this really horrible Bob Dylan impression, you know, of like, <laughs> it's so, because, you know, it's, it's, it's like the only thing in my diet, you know, it was right. like, it was just too much. And so I had to just kind of cut it out.
Okay. And, uh, that makes and, sense. So, and, and that was a thing of, I think of finding, you know, those sorts of artists where you're like, all right, I'm getting too much, I'm getting too much nutrients from this person. And right. I, you know, and you, and you, you know, slowly find your own way, you know, it's crazy how many artists do go through that, dude. Because I know comedians who go through that, they latch on to a comic or somebody that they idolize oh, yeah. and then they have to kind of shake it out of that. Oh, yeah. You hear um, people talk about where they're like, oh, shit, I just realized like I, that was a Hedberg joke. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah exactly. it, or it was just even just like a cadence or something. Right, exactly. And then like same thing with like, even artists or cartoonists and stuff like that, too, is where they're like they love, you know, like peanuts. And then they realize that their art style is somehow yeah. morphed into and they're like, oh, fuck, I got to like. You know, I got to spend time shaking that off, but it's, it's beautiful too, because I mean, like, I feel like the, you know, the art kind of feeds into other artists and that's just how we create, yeah, you know, more people. Yeah. I think it was Billy Bragg said something about that where it was like, he, I think it was even started with Dylan where he's like, I was doing a, you know, I was doing a Bob Dylan impression and mm -hmm. then I was doing a Joe Strummer impression and then it, all invertly. And then one day you kind of look up and you're like, you know, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of doing yeah. Billy Bragg thing. Do you remember like what your first paid gig was? Uh, I mean, it was probably, um, I, th I think it was at a place called the Piano Bar in oh. in Los Angeles. Yeah, I know that place. Um, I don't know if it's still, is it still around? I don't, I don't know if it's still, it was around the corner from the place, Hotel Cafe. Yeah, yeah. It was on, and um, and I think, or or it was that, or uh, oh, I think before that it was actually Genghis Cohen. Uh, gang, the, have you ever heard of Genghis Cohen? No. Genghis Cohen <laughs> is a, a it's a Chinese restaurant that's also uh, has like a little music venue attached to it. Wow. And I think oh, you I can order, that. you could order, it, it, had, it has little like church pews mm -hmm. and uh, uh, where you sit. And I remember somebody dropped like their bowl of fried rice or something on the ground, you know, as, I'm, as I was playing some, you know playing some you know doing some like quiet finger picking thing um, <laughs> and uh uh oh it's, it's a great strain it's on um i think it's on fairfax or labray or one of those streets nice. and um uh it was great but i remember coming back and having like you know getting like 54 dollars I remember, you know, oh my god this is a that's fortune. awesome this yeah amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great uh is there anybody that you like you know like to work with like that you haven't yet you know what i mean like maybe like um even even if it is a dylan or something like that too but you know what i mean is there another band or something like that you love well there's for? someone there's some, i don't know have you ever heard of someone named dan reader yes he's unbelievable uh, have you I, done? Don't, I don't think i would ever collaborate with him but i think there's just I don't, maybe i just wanted to talk about it. i just wanted to give yeah. him a shout out of just how fucking uh uh what an amazing strength. He's this guy. There's an amazing story. That guy, Todd, uh, Todd Snyder was on tour with um, John Prine yes. years and years ago. And they were playing in Germany. And he tells a story on stage of, the, of, of that. He just came up to him and gave him the CD and they got into the car and they're driving away. You know, and it's like this, this, you know, kind of older guy in Germany, you know, an American came up and, you know, said, would you listen to these Right, these songs, and they're looking at the track list, and he goes, "There's a song on here called Food and Pussy," <laughs> and they're like, "We got to listen to this thing," <laughs> and you listen to it, and not only is it incredible, right, but it is it is like you know weird, it's weirdly profound, beautiful music. You know what? What do I want? I want food and pussy. How come? Because yeah. it's the way God made me, and it's so <laughs> sweet. And he has another song called "I Drink Beer" that is just yeah. And it is just like a, so I don't know, maybe going to Germany and playing some music with Dan Reader would be pretty fun. That'd be great, man. Fucking yeah. do it. Yeah. That's cool. gotta be, 
this guy makes uh, bucket list dreams come true. So uh, <laughs> there you go. We'll get Tom, <laughs> Let's make we'll get that Tom on it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll send him it's this gonna clip. Be, it's going to be tough to explain to my wife the whole uh, food and pussy <laughs> <Yeah>. trip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, play the song. It's beautiful. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's why I'm not married. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to explain anything to anybody. <laughs> just my cat. Um, just, just, just Maybe that's what he turn. was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? You just got 15 cats when you get to Germany. And you're like, this fucking took a turn. That was weird. I wouldn't. That wouldn't be surprising. <laughs> um, uh, dude, I got to ask you two questions that we ask every guest that's coming on because the hour basically just flew by. Um, so one, if you go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice that would help you today, what would it be? You know, I think it is, you know, it's like quiet, all the noise. And it's like, um, you know, the most important thing I think that I've found for myself is like, uh, when, when I cut out sort of like starting with Dylan, kind of like cutting that stuff out. And I slowly kind of stopped listening to more and more music. And I felt like, and I feel like now that the goal for myself, it's like, you want to be like your own little Madagascar. You want to break off from the continent and you want to have this strange evolution in your own little ecosystem. Right. And you introduce stuff that's not similar to what, like don't listen to anything that's vaguely uh, uh, of the sort of stuff that you make mm. and finding those pieces. And that's been only somewhat recently. If I started, you know, really, really reading, really getting into like, you know, kind of like dense, um, challenging kind of stuff. And, uh, and I found that those, uh, are these things getting out into the world of getting out into nature, spending that time alone, right? not, not taking in sort of caring at all about what else anyone else in your genre or your whatever the fuck is doing. Cause not only does it not matter, it's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. Right. In taking yeah. those pieces of whatever is happening there. And that my, you know, my uh, goal is not to do anything more than to try to make something that is unique and something that is an expression of what I'm, whatever I'm trying to work through um and uh, and cycle through my own you know psychosis that's fantastic dude i completely agree we were just talking to uh another uh focusing around in georgia um yesterday i'm just kind of basically saying the same thing where like you don't have to be because you know i feel like society and like plus our industry kind of tells you oh if you want to be real at this you have to be either here here or here or yeah. you're not uh, you know, you're not good enough or whatever. And that's total horseshit because yeah. it it's, you know, it just makes it so they can kind of categorize you and keep you in a thing and make you jump through hoops and you can be yeah. anywhere. And it's like the old thing of when you're pitching something, you know, it's like you need to say, oh, well, you know, it's uh, it's diehard meets sister act. And uh, if you don't <laughs> say that... <laughs> Here we it's go. So, you're so fucking right, man. <laughs> I, I have written... Dude, I, I love that you just said that. <clears throat> that kills me. Because... Uh, you know, uh, we're going to be pitching something coming up too. <clears throat> and it's one of those things. It's like, you know, uh, pitching one one where like I've written stuff before and I've gone on these things and we're, and you, people will like read it over and be like, you gotta like, like try to say it's like the daily show combined with, you know, <laughs> right. golden girls. And you're like, well, fuck, right. like you already have two of those. And I don't, yeah. I don't think it yeah. is like that. And then, yeah. you know, 
And then you run in, and then the crazy thing is, is as contrarian as this industry likes to be, they love to go, mm, yeah, it is too much like what you said. And it's like, and it's like, well, fuck, man, I'm just making that shit up. I don't know. I'm like, yeah, right. You know, I'm lying here. I'm trying to get a hook in something, fucking, you know, yeah. throw me a bone. No, it's, it is, it's completely. And then you get, you know, even further down the rabbit hole where it's like everything needs to have some sort of intellectual property behind yeah. it to begin with. And so, and I think that that's the direction that I, you know, I know a lot of musicians that go that path too, where they, they, you know, they'll chart the the chord progressions that other bands are doing and go, right. okay, well, why don't I just do, I'll do that chord progression, but I'll change just a little bit here. Yeah. I'll do that here kind of thing. And that's fine. That's if that's kind of your process, but it's just not mine. And I right. think knowing that it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta forge your own path. If you want to try to make anything that's worthwhile, it, it might not honestly uh, be as successful as the person that's, sure. that is going that doing this strange calculated path of like okay so he goes one four and then he goes to here so i'll do that but i'll i'll just make the 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 tempo a little slower right and you know and sometimes people want that shit where you know one thing pops and you know whatever it is whether it's you know it's uh um in every genre and then everyone yeah. goes okay well now this is the this is the and thing. They want to hear a thousand of those same a things, thousand over, of those and things. Over, and over and over. But that yeah. shit fades quickly, you know. It does. Yeah. And gets Which I think is annoying. one of the reasons that I have sort of uh played I think in the genre that I play in is that you know, you can be an old man sitting on stage as a guitar and there's some dignity to it, you know. Yeah. Absolutely true. There's a lot of other things with it not as much. You know? Absolutely, man. Uh and last question is um what had to end in your life, be it good or bad? that led you to where you are today? Well, I think it's so, so many things that had to end. Um, you know, I think, I think a big part was, was, pro was making the leap of, um, you know, I'd been pl playing music and making little recordings and I, I'd had a, a desk job in, in LA. I was, I was, um, uh, you know, answering, answering phones basically for a guy, um, uh, and, uh, and as I was, I was playing, you know, and it was, it was hard to try to turn my back on that. And then, you know, in a weird serendipitous way, I had, uh, a f uh, my girlfriend, my now wife, she had a family friend that had worked at a radio station and she sent my stuff over to some of the DJs at KCRW. And all of a sudden these, you know, kind of terrible little demos that I had made, at least like quality, terrible, right. um, uh, like, you know, low, low, super lo-fi. All right. of a sudden we're getting played there. And then at the same time, this, these strange guys own the studio out in a place called Marin Heights. There were these cool two brothers that own the studio. That's uh, like a little, like an hour North of Montreal. And they reached out to me saying, Hey, do you want to come out here to record? They're like, well, you know, if you can fly yourself here, we'll put you up and we'll just record in this studio. And, wow. and then that was that thing of like, all right, if I'm going to make a leap and if, if I'm going to, you know, kind of break this, um, uh, you, you know, this, this umbilical cord, this is the time to do it. And, uh, and so I did, you know, and I went up there and recorded and it was, and e even though n none of those things directly led to, you know, some big record contract or anything like that, those were, you know, those like monumental steps of making that leap to then thinking like, I, don't know, I think I could do this. I think I could make a living out of this. And it's just a, um, it never came from a place of, of wanting to, you know, be the center of attention or want to be on, but it was, you know, when you can find something that you deeply love to do and that you right. would do if you're not paid, 
And if you could find some way to make some kind of scratch out a living at it, it seemed like a worthwhile thing to go down. Nice, man. Yeah. Uh, well, that's awesome. Um, I'm so glad to have you on, dude. It was very nice meeting you. Um, new album, Broken English, comes out January 21st. Uh, so we'll make sure to plug that. Anything else? Anywhere people can find you and stuff? Social I media? I think, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, if you just look up Eddie Berman, I think it's underscore Eddie Berman in all these places. Nice. Some photographer in Connecticut. He takes great, great pictures, but he, he's got, he, he has it without the underscore. The bastard. Uh, but uh, no, and, and we put out, we've put out a four uh, singles from the album so far. So, you know, if Sweet. you go on Spotify, you can, you can find all that stuff just under Eddie Berman. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Great. Uh, it was nice meeting you and, uh, you know, we'll have to do it again. Yeah, so it's great meeting you guys too. Thanks so much yeah. for having me. Take care, yeah, man. Looking Peace. forward to it. Thanks so much. Have a great thanks. day. Dystopia tonight.